who cares if uh, you know a thousand people like my photo on Instagram or who cares if I got an MBE from the Queen my dad's not the one patting me on my head saying well done so it literally means nothing to me Hi everyone, my name is Inherit George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard, and confronted. In today's episode, I am talking to tech entrepreneur, beauty mogul, and MBE, Sharma Dean Reed, the woman who started Wire Nails, Feature Girl Corp, and now Beauty Stack. Sharma Dean's mission is to use technology to empower women socially, economically, and culturally. And she is doing all of this whilst also bringing up an eight year old son. Sharma Dean, welcome to Daddy Issues, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So as much as we could spend the majority of this podcast talking about your mass of achievements, we are here to talk about fatherlessness. So there are so many different forms of growing up without a father. So I want you to take us back to the beginning of your story and to tell us what your first memory is of your dad. So I remember it being really early in the morning. I was probably about three or four and um, it must have been winter because it was still dark outside, but I was up and watching cartoons before school with my cousin who was sleeping over. And I remember a man coming in the house and going to speak to my mom in the kitchen and briefly waving hello. And then my cousin went, that's your dad. And I remember thinking, oh, okay. And then I remember him leaving, like he didn't, come over to me or anything he just went straight into the kitchen talked to my mum and then when he left I remember going bye daddy and then he left and then that's kind of the last the only the only real memory I've got if I'm honest I um can't even picture his face yeah and I think sometimes I question if that's even a real memory yeah If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't actually asked my cousin or my mom. So sometimes I'm like, wait, did I just make that memory up? Yeah. I vaguely remember the outline of his head and that he was wearing like a grey kind of 80s grey zip up sport jacket. Yeah. And he had like big ears and a big nose. And that's about it. So take us to your roots and where you grew up and why that was the only encounter you've ever had with your dad. So most of what I, this part of the story is not, is based on piecing together lots of different information from family members. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know any of this as definite fact, but 
what I know and what I've used my own logic and rationality to <laughs> deduce is that yeah. my mother was 15 years old when she um, got pregnant by my father. Mm-hmm. Um, she gave birth, my birthday's in May and hers is in February, so she must have just turned 16, you know, three right. months into Gosh, 16. Gosh, that's young, isn't it? And my father was a lot older. And right. I again, I don't know for sure, but like late 20s Mm -hmm. and apparently they met at a local youth club this is the 80s Wolverhampton disco disco (laughs) um my family my mother's side's Jamaican and my dad's side's Indian and in Jamaican culture youth clubs were like super popular right Mm because they didn't Jamaicans don't really hang out in pubs and stuff so they'd go to like the music halls or the youth clubs and um apparently they met there and Again, maybe I'm being optimistic and I made this up, but I got the idea that they were really obsessed with each other, like super in love and obsessed. Where do you think Um, that, why do you think you've made that up? Where do you think you've got that idea? Just from the way uh, people have said, like my aunties and stuff, you know, and yeah, so I was, you know, just an illegitimate child. Yeah. Born in Wolverhampton, 1984. I think my my mother is the youngest, third youngest of 13 children. Wow. Um, She was still living with my grandparents, obviously. Yeah. And I was basically born into my grandparents' house for like, the and lived there for the first three years of my life. Now, my, um, my grandfather was obviously outraged. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) none of my aunties really have had babies this young. Yeah. Not that I can think of. My grandfather is a very strong man of honour and family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's he's the father of 13 children and like eight of them are girls. (laughs) And he was probably incredibly protective over these. And my aunties are gorgeous. Yeah. They're vivacious. They're warm, funny. Like, my family are really like soulful and happy you know mm-hmm. and um I just I mean wouldn't you if you, your daughter's 15 year old daughter oh god yeah so particularly by someone not in the community yeah like not in the Jamaican community right or yeah. even our church community or any community that we we knew after your mum became pregnant with you what happened in their relationship for that not to continue if I'm honest, I have no idea because yeah. I haven't, yeah, I don't, I don't really know why. My, again, this is me just doing guesswork, right? Mm. If my granddad has outright said, you're not allowed to see this guy ever again, right? then that's that. <laughs> my granddad was like, yeah. you know, head of the household. Yeah. It's not Goodbye. even a question. <laughs> yeah. And also she lived at home yeah and like right you can't move out yeah you know what I mean at 15 you know I don't think my mum had much choice to be honest and I can only imagine how hard that must be for her when I was 15 and I'm sure you must have had it the boy I would have been had a crush on at school I would I thought I was gonna die if he didn't look at me like you <laughs> yeah, know when yeah. you're when you're young <laughs> your emotions are so heightened I literally can't even imagine how upsetting that must have been yeah and then you know, to top it all off, I'm here and the yeah. product of it. Yeah. And I think, 
you know, thinking about um, my personal separation with my son's father, I think that in those very early days, before you kind of settle into a rhythm of, of your new family dynamic, your child is a walking physical yeah. emblem of something that didn't work out. So yeah. I think it's 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 very, very hard, let alone being so young when you've barely, you're a child yourself. Yeah, like totally. you've barely got control of your own emotions, let alone another bundle of baby hormones. Yeah. So I think that, it was probably very difficult for her. I think it was difficult f for everyone, to be honest. But like I said, my family is so warm. Everyone looked after me. Yeah. Like I... You had I, like 10 mums. Totally. And yeah. my granddad became like my dad. Mm -hmm. And I look a lot like my granddad, actually. Mm -hmm. my, my granddad's grandmother was Indian as well. So he kind of has a similar look to mm -hmm. me. Oh, that's um, interesting. So he definitely took me, and again, all my aunties just used to say that when I was younger, my grand, my granddad was like obsessed with me. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, I was a really precocious child, like from from the minute I popped out. So I was yeah. very present. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you had a father figure in your granddad, but obviously that's not your father. So when you were growing up, were you ever inquisitive about your dad? Did you? Do you ever ask your mum anything and what did she say if you did? The, I was definitely inquisitive mm. for us up until a point. Can't imagine you not being inquisitive. <laughs> <laughs> Name of the game. Um, <laughs> the running theme of discussing it with my mum is that she talks about it in like short kind of passing phrases and comments always like positively and with a sunny disposition but not really giving me any nuggets of information and I'm the kind of person who like let's say you were telling me a story of something that happened at a party last night you can't just gloss out I, I need facts you want and details <laughs> yeah so like it didn't I'm the same it didn't really um satisfy my curiosity yeah for 34 years that I've been alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, I think that I did ask little bits of questions and I still do. Yeah. And I would do things like, um, I would look in like the yellow pages for his phone number and his address and stuff. Right. And then one time I must've been about mm, maybe 10. Mm -hmm. I remember going up to my grandma's bedroom um, so my my grandparents lived literally five when we moved out they lived five minutes away and my school was next door so my grandparents house was like my second home right yeah. I remember going up to my grandma's bedroom where she had the telephone and getting the number out of the yellow pages and dialing the number that was next to his name and I remember like you know imagine I'm sitting there in my in my grandma's bedroom everyone's downstairs like watching tv or something yeah and I said um hello and then like a young boy answered and I remember and and then I asked for my dad and then he went hang on I'll go and get him and then he went to go and get him and I remember thinking while he was away and it sounded like a really busy house like mm. loads of noise and I remember thinking hmm, I wonder if that's my brother yeah and then because uh, then he comes to the phone and he's like no you've got the wrong number and then hangs up and I remember uh. on that moment thinking yeah I'm not bothered anymore why would you not even be curious? 
so weird. Yeah. Because I, like I said, I was a really, um, like, creative, precocious, high-achieving child. Like, I've all, the way I am now, I've always been like that. I didn't, like blossom into into the person <laughs> I am today I've been like that since since yeah, the day I was born like it was definitely the first time I think some kind of box closed do you know what I mean yeah. some some compartment just clamped shut, shut. and from then from I'd say 10 to maybe age 20 in fact this is accurate because I think it's a 10 year thing I kind of just didn't think about it like I didn't, but it definitely, um, definitely a lot of un- subconscious resentment built mm-hmm. up that mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about, but I definitely didn't address it. Yeah. So yeah, that's my last kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually want to get to that. So you're, that part of your life, your 20s um, eventually, but in terms of still thinking about your childhood, do you remember that first time you kind of realised that your situation of not having a dad is maybe a bit different? I mean, it was always... It was just always a thing, right? Like, I remember just moments of childhood being punctuated with the fact that I didn't have a dad. So it wasn't like... I was a moody, depressed yeah. type of child. But sleepovers, I remember having... Um, I remember going to my friend's house for a sleepover when I was still at primary school. Um, and her house was, like, next level anyway. It was amazingly yeah. big, beautiful house. But I remember, like, seeing her dad's study... And like walking past the study, and firstly the study is a very middle class thing anyway. Like I yeah, grew yeah. up with a study, and um, <laughs> I remember on very British problems Twitter it was like two things that know you're middle class: a study and a landing. Yeah, yeah. Like if you got a landing, <laughs> landing. on your stairs, you know, landing in your yeah, stairwell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember walking past the study and there being the essence of a dad. Mm-hmm. Like, I never saw her dad. I think I might have seen him briefly once at the sleepover. I know exactly what you mean. But it was like this male room. Yeah. That ha- that was like really dark with a big brown desk, like yeah. all the books. And I remember like that being the essence of a father figure in the house that mm-hmm. I didn't have, like yeah. growing up. That really, the, yeah, that was like one of the memories. And then another one when I was a bit older now, so I'd say probably... I remember it because I was at senior school when there was a very particularly hard maths homework. Uh-huh. And I remember someone doing it the next day. And I was like, how did you do that homework? And they went, my dad helped me. And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fine. <laughs> it wasn't an ongoing misery and I wasn't an angry child. Um, it was just small moments whereby it became apparent that I had this absence in my life and sometimes it made me think but again I'm a very optimistic person it made me think am I at a disadvantage because I don't have this person yeah you know yeah and actually that's really interesting because I think a lot of people it's very lucky that you are such an optimistic person because I think for a lot of people they can stay with their 
identity attached to that absence as children anyway I mean I even remember this you just deal with stuff mm. that you don't even I was the happiest child ever like you say and literally just everything was just like amazing and great and you almost don't even realize the coping mechanisms you may yeah. put yourself under and that for me anyway is a sort of now as a young adult but in my even younger adulthood in my early 20s is when it hit me and that's why I want to come to with you because then you said as as you say it goes in sort of 10 year things like when you were 10 you looked in the yellow pages and then when you're 20 I now want to get to that part of your life if anything did manifest from that void that inevitable void that comes with an absent father how do you think it affected you in sort of like a characteristic, for example, that you might now have because of your fatherlessness? Um, I think that the characteristics that developed were exasperated by the fact that my granddad died when I was, in fact, very spookily, he died. So my birthday's the 28th of May and my granddad's birthday's the 21st of May. Mm -hmm. And he died on the 24th of May, like exactly right, halfway. Right Between our birthdays, I turned 19, right. four days after he died. I was grieving in a way that I didn't actually really know what grieving was. No. So that year was a big turning point for me. I met my first ever proper boyfriend a mm -hmm. um, few months before my granddad died. Then my, so I basically had my first love. My granddad died in May and then I moved to London in August. I was always due to move to London for university anyway. That was always planned. It wasn't triggered by any of these events. Yeah. Um, and it was just a massive life change yeah. for me. And um, my boyfriend moved with me and we just did not have a good time. And a lot of it was to do with me firstly grieving and secondly me not really um accepting that someone loved me mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah it was really odd because I only can look at this now in hindsight now that I've done the work but I would try and sabotage that relationship all the time mm -hmm. I would just be like oh this guy can't possibly like love me love me mm -hmm. in the way yeah know, that he says he does it's all a lie so mm -hmm. I just kept trying to ruin it and then when I was 20 or so yeah I remember so it was the following summer after we moved in like August I remember we had a huge fight like crazy fight and I remember saying to him you don't know what it's like for me you've got two parents who love you <laughs> and yeah. then I basically had like a little breakdown and, and cried like all night yeah and then by the morning I was fine yeah so it was like I had my release at 10 then I had my next release at 20 and it was like, a it was like everything that had been bottled up for the last 10 years yeah I had a massive purge so you know all the things I might have been angry about but but kind of repressed I kind of got out in that night and I remember waking up the next day and feeling like a lightness mm -hmm. but I actually think at 10 years old it was really about my dad but at 20 years old it was really about my mum mm. my dad wasn't present enough to demonize right do you know what I mean yeah totally I'm not the kind of person who um like makes up things about people if that oh, yeah. makes sense. I need the facts <laughs> so 
because I had very few facts, I couldn't make up things and I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Right. So I wouldn't think overly positive about him, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't also think overly negative about him. Yeah. Um, but because I had my mum there and our relationship just got more and more strained, um, I ended up moving out at 15 actually and living with my granddad full time. Mm-hmm. Um before so I lived with my granddad from age 15 to 19 so we e- became even more closer that, yeah uh the whole thing is very kind of very serendipitous yeah isn't it? yeah a bit quite symbolic oh totally. he was your protector do you know a hundred percent me and my granddad were literally like inseparable we just were always together yeah and at church um he'd sit at the back with all the other guys and I'd always like sit at the back and like crouch down and like sit with all the men at the back of the church yeah even when I was little I remember climbing into my grandma and granddad's bed and basically wedging myself in between my granddad and the wall <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah. we were so cl- like whenever he was away like going to Jamaica for six months at a time I would ha- like howl panic I'd be crying yeah like howling I think going back to the characteristic because there were so many children though yeah like obviously we would close uh, but there's so <laughs> many people in the family of his time um one of the things that I think all my family have and definitely I think it's quite characteristics of young black girls mm-hmm. is I was just crazy independent right yeah. I just figured stuff out myself yeah most most often I didn't need adult help yeah or even if I did I wouldn't ask for it Mm -hmm. I remember one time actually I was in London like visiting because I loved coming down to go to galleries and stuff before I actually moved to go to uni I came to London and I must have eaten something bad and I got crazy uh food poisoning I was vomiting and I remember calling my granddad crying saying I'm so ill and he told me to um buy go to the chemist and buy Pepto-Bismol and it was really weird because <laughs> I bought it and it worked and I was like well I didn't oh, know that is that's what parents do that's what this literally what parents do they they have knowledge and experience you don't have <laughs> yeah. and you can ask them for it yeah. and um You know, my my mom was just never that mom. Like, I never called her for stuff. And because, like I said, I'd moved out. Moved out when I was 15. And then when I was 19, moved to London. Um, so, yeah, I just became really, really independent. And always had this... Uh, always had this belief that I could figure it out mm-hmm. myself. Whatever the problem was, I could... And even if it took me a bit longer... Uh, it wasn't out of pride, to be honest. You know, I didn't do it because I wanted the accomplishment of doing it myself. It, 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 even to this day, it doesn't make me feel good to have done something myself. Right. I just think it's the quickest, most efficient solution. Yeah. <laughs> to do it myself. I'll just do it myself. Yeah, I'll yeah. just do it myself. Yeah. So WAH, which is We Ain't Hoes, for those who don't know. So Sharmadine started WAH magazine when you were still at Central St. Martins. Yes. And I remember you telling me that, that the reason, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but the reason why you started that was because, and I don't know if this is the same boyfriend, but because you wanted to prove to him that you were good enough and that you were cool enough and that you could do great things. So essentially that 
so it came from the very beginning of like your whole massive career sort of came from that need to prove either to yourself or to a man or to both that of your worth of your sort of and that is what I'm interested in exploring in terms of that must be linked as it is for many female CEOs and very powerful women to this either lack of patriarchy in a household that is not the sort of system that you follow or um, a need to get a man to, to approve of you. Yes. Although I don't think it is just a female thing. Mm-hmm. I think I've read male CEO journeys that have this essentially an imposter syndrome and a yeah. desire for approval. Um, I think it's less about gender and more about people who've been successful because they are determined to prove something of themselves. Um, I think when you outline it like that, the so yeah, I started WAR for two reasons, mainly because that I thought there was a massive need and a story I wanted to tell, which was me discovering my female identity, loving hip hop music and seeing that women in hip-hop weren't being covered very well mm-hmm. but then there was definitely this burning desire to impress that first boyfriend yeah we were on and off breaking up you know we were students like you know other people coming on the scene and I just remember thinking much like when I you know made that phone call to my dad age 10 like I'm amazing. Why Why would you not want to know me? <laughs> yeah. Let me show you and prove to you how amazing I am. And actually, now that I look back, I think when I was a kid, was I just smart and curious and naturally like that? Or did I pick up really early on the need to approve? And, you know, I'm, I am obsessed with... Uh, trying to understand why I am the way I am because I am a bit of a weirdo. Same. Like, I, I just defy what, you know, the life that I kind of was given. So I'm always trying to understand how how did I turn out like this? And, um, you know, I remember actually our mutual friend Ewan. Ewan told me to do the Enneagram test and my my type was type three, the achiever. And when I read it, I literally burst into tears oh, wow. because I was like, oh my God. It was like, you know, from a very young age, the achiever learns to perform. Yeah. The achiever learns that when they perform, they get praise and it feels good. So they mm-hmm. perform again and mm-hmm. they perform again. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I was such a, um, I, <laughs> I was that kid who like literally was the star of Bethlehem in the nativity do you know what I mean (laughs) I was the kid that when there was a play like I would be the main person in the play like I was just always on (laughs) and um and I think that with my lifestyle and the the things that I've achieved now um it's really really tough to know what have I done for myself and what have I done for other people and that can be really confusing, mm-hmm. like really confusing for my personal identity. And I can only say all of this with hindsight now, because that's what the beauty of being older and wiser. But in my <laughs> 20s, 
Um, or even before that, to be honest, because like I said, I, I've known what I wanted to do since I was about 12 years old. Mm-hmm. And primarily, I just remember thinking, I don't want the lifestyle that like my mum has. Yeah. Like I just don't, I want to um, be able to explore my creativity. My mum is incredibly creative. Right. And I, and I was like, I want to be able to like work in a creative industry and do the things that I love. I was obsessed with music and culture and MTV and magazines. I used to read Vogue. I, I just would always be looking for these windows to other worlds. Yeah. So I would be like, I have to make something of myself mm-hmm. so that, you know, if we over-psychoanalyze or pseudo-psychoanalyze, it could be, so wherever my dad is looking at me, he knows that I'm somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, I am somebody, right? And um, my dad paid child support f- till I was 18. Oh, interesting. So it's not like I was just a random... God, so he's he was, he was very much aware of your existence. Or... Yeah, of course. Yeah. He had to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, when... When you look back, I guess the hardest thing about is understanding your identity and your intentions and being like, okay, so who, who am I and who would I have been if I had a father? If I had a father, would I have been so entrepreneurial? You know, I don't, I I think that... um, an investor actually told me that he invests in people with daddy issues. <laughs> and it's nothing to do with race, class, gender, wealth, anything. It's like, if you have something to prove to your father, you will not stop yeah. until you've achieved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, like, you know, trying to be like, the more you do work on yourself about this stuff, and this is where I get into kind of dangerous territory, is... I could spend endless time in therapy, mm-hmm. like working through these issues. Which you've never done. I've never done therapy. No. But then would I have the drive? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm actually terrified that this has given me a motivation that I will lose if I'm content with my fatherlessness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of sick. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But do you know what I mean? I, I do feel actually, like it's yeah. In, in both negative and positive ways, it's made me who I am. Yeah. And I worry that, yeah, if I'm satisfied, I'll just go and live in a farm. Yeah. Be a farmer and an artist. One day. <laughs> That's the other dream. Yeah. But because it's actually interesting because you, I mean, I've done a lot of research now into, because my dad obviously died. So it was a very different form of fatherlessness. But with like abandonment and neglect and um, there's really, I mean, they all hold hands anyway down the line. It all manifests into basically the main thing is like an identity crisis. So you can like channel that in many different ways. You channeled it brilliantly, either by nature, nurture, whatever the cause, but you channeled it into success, achievement, all those things. But some people can, it can hold them back. They can stay sort of attached to the past. Their, you know, their past and their abandonment can become their identity. And if you were, so if there's someone out there that you could talk to now who has had the same upbringing with you in terms of, their dad's not around out of choice, right? But how would you advise someone who maybe isn't as sort of sort of naturally motivated as you 
to go out and move forward and achieve their dreams that they want but don't know if they can get because of their past? Ooh, I actually don't feel I'm in a position to give anyone advice on this because it is just so complex. Yeah. It's such a complex, personal and subjective thing. Um, I would say that although I've channeled this into success in work, it doesn't mean that my personal life and relationships are healthy. Yeah. I, I think that, again, when I think about the acknowledgement I've made in terms of my motivation and drive for my business success, I am 100% aware my eyes are wide open that I've made personal sacrifices for that. And actually, as another protective measure, um, you know, I'm very, very wary of all relationships. So not not just uh, partner or sexual relationships, but even friendships. friendships yeah. So I have huge uh, trust issues. Mm. I have massive fear of a abandonment mm -hmm. I <coughs> excuse me I almost always assume that if someone's come into my life they're probably going to let me down so I don't get my hopes up too high um you know it's hard because I come across as a very extroverted social person but I'm actually not um I much prefer my own company and then also a very small inner circle of friends that I've known for like 10 years plus. Mm -hmm. If, you know, we're in a really crazy era of uh, social media where people think they know you're there, your friend when they're actually not. Yeah. And I'm very clear in those boundaries. Like if someone uh, starts having a conversation with me that I would view as a personal conversation I literally shut them down I almost like you, you don't know me well enough to have that conversation with me um obviously all of that comes from being older and having the confidence to say that but when you're younger you just have a lot of people come in and out of your life and when they go out it hurts even more yeah so so I I get really or I used to you know I've I've feel like I've made myself cold to not feel this anymore but I used to be devastated if I lost someone in my life through mm -hmm. um you know falling out with a friend or breaking up with someone I've only really had like a, a few relation serious relationships in my life um but like yeah I'd just be really upset and I'd almost like I said earlier like shut the boxes like more and more and I often talk about compartmentalizing my brain so that certain things are open and certain things are closed as a means to protect myself from being hysterical yeah I, I feel that my greatest um you know one might call this achievement but one might call it actually a curse which is c control of my emotions and it you know, I'm not a robot, so obviously I'm. Not, I, it's not perfect all the time. Yeah. <clears throat> but I tend to be very measured and rational in my responses to things. Um, but I've cultivated that. It's not natural to me. I've mm -hmm. cultivated it to ensure that 
A, I stay sane. Mm -hmm. B, I can do my work. My work is so important to me that anything that jeopardizes my ability to work just goes out the pan. If there is a relationship that is demanding of my emotions, I just cut it off because it it consumes, it it eats into my work, you know? Yeah. Um, And, you know, sometimes I question if it's healthy. Yeah. I don't, not even sure if it's healthy to be like that. And... I it's I worry about it to be honest because I think will I meet some will I be able to have a long lasting relationship um if I can't let somebody like take care of me you know mm. what I mean and be yeah. vulnerable in front of people and trust people and not sabotage uh relationships all the time I'm almost always testing people yeah. Um, you know, if I meet someone, I'm basically interviewing them for the role of front row seat in the story of my life. <laughs> they start off at the back of the cinema and through um, different experiences, they move closer and closer t- to the front. Yeah. <laughs> but un- until you're at the front, you just don't get access to the real me. And that's that's a bit of a shame. Yeah. It's actually so interesting when you were just talking about that. It's the way that with friends and friendship how when you were younger, it would like break you that someone that you'd put your all in your heart in and like, and I remember that feeling so well, it was like someone then would just, that person that I thought they were had died. And it's literally like, it threw me in such an unhealthy way. And it's so interesting to hear you talk about it as well, because essentially it's like that thing of losing someone, whatever it is, or not having someone having that. I would say the the feeling is like bewilderment it's like absolute confusion and again that question is that you know stems from that deep-rooted loss of father is why would you not want to know me I say that all the time in my head why would you not want to know me like yeah yeah yeah. and um it is hard but again you know, as we're going through the process of discussing it, I can see how I purposefully have made myself like unattachable. So when I was younger, I never really had like one crew at school. Mm-hmm. I knew everybody. So say at lunchtime, I could sit on anyone's table. Mm-hmm. I would just hop around, you know, I would be top set in like maths and English but I'd also be hanging out with the jocks because I played football so it was like I was a bit of a social chameleon and again good and bad I was incredibly versatile because I would be whatever you wanted me to be Mm -hmm. like I would mold myself into to fit into the group um but knowing to please less to please because I I've got this really weird thing that I love acknowledgement but I don't care that much for praise right um you know what I mean I've got another theory about this actually it's like (laughs) what what does praise mean when I don't get praise from the two people that I want it from which is my mum and my dad like who cares if uh you know a thousand people like my photo on Instagram yeah or who cares if I got an MBE from the Queen? Mm. My dad's not the one patting me on my head saying, well done. So it literally means nothing to me. So, yeah, I don't think it was about people pleasing. I think for me, I just wanted to um, appear like normal mm-hmm. and 
possibly be liked, I guess. I mean, that's quite human. But over time, if people didn't like me, never, like, it doesn't really bother me as much. It's more like you have to know me. Yeah. It's almost that thing of being invisible is worse than being vulgar. Like, irrelevance is the worst thing. Like, humans are you know, will suffer from irrelevance yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's the worst thing is being irrelevant to somebody. And um, yeah, like as a youngster, I moved through these groups to be known. So everyone would know my name, whether they liked me or not didn't matter, but you definitely knew who I was. Which is very interesting to think. Yeah, because I was visible. know you. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted visibility. Yeah. Also, I find it interesting how you say the way that you were a chameleon was to sort of people to think you were normal. So it's interesting to think that there was a part of you inside that didn't think you were. I think that I was very keen for people to know that despite my circumstances, I could compete with them on a level. Yeah. You know, Um, I am obsessed with knowing things. And again, something that I kept questioning about myself, you know, during my existential crisis of my late 20s. Yeah, God. Did I want to know stuff because I enjoyed knowing it or did I want to know stuff because then I could show off that I knew it? It really confused me. I was just like... (laughs) It's amazing how Age 28 to 32 was just literally like, you know, the philosophy of me. Yeah. And... um. It was asking myself really critical questions about why I was the way that I was. And, um, you know, it's really hard to know yeah. what the, tr- like, the real self is. Yes. Yeah. Like, well, but that actually massively touches on the fact that, well, identity is such a massive thing in not having a father or not knowing your father or whatever, knowing your father for a few years and then he's gone or whatever it is that your situation is. Because essentially, if one doesn't know their dad, it's very difficult to make up the real you. I mean, that is difficult for everyone in, as a human being, you know, finding yourself. So, I mean, knowing what you, because I know that you know that your dad's a businessman and he's successful, I believe. So my question now is, although you never knew him, have you ever thought how similar you might be? if you did meet him or what makes up you because you you know there's that phrase you're a map of your parents and if you only have one parent you're kind of like unsure what the other part of you is that is exactly it like imagine there are buckets that are pouring into you as a child and I've only got one bucket Mm. pouring in and most people have two or half the bucket rather um and that half of the bucket wasn't um something that I wanted to replicate I didn't want to be a single mum I didn't want to stay in Wolverhampton I didn't want to um you know have four kids and like no um like I didn't want to be not married Mm -hmm. like I really wanted family normality and family institution and I wanted to be educated and all of these things from that half of the bucket didn't appeal to me. So I guess I kind of had to like seek out 
other role models mm-hmm. and the the bits that I knew about my dad quite rightly as you said I knew he was a businessman I obviously knew he was Indian um you know in Wolverhampton uh all the like corner shops and the food businesses are run by Indian business people and there is definitely this thing where my family would laugh at me and say, oh, that's the Indian side of you coming out if I did something, you know? Um, <laughs> what, well, how did that make you feel, though? What was that um, for you? I guess I kind of eye-rolled inside, but then also it's, it's a lot easier to... Um, project on something that doesn't exist right so although I would wouldn't try and fill in the gaps my family would often try and fill them in for me Mm -hmm. you know and they would say things like oh you're entrepreneurial because of your dad or like you know things that had no evidence or basis yeah (laughs) yeah, just just (laughs) would make it up so I definitely had these like things told to me but there just wasn't enough of it. So I definitely looked for other types of male figures, whether it was in film or in uh, literature or other business people. In general, as a kid, I would often read stories of successful people and look for things that spoke to me. So I'd never try and replicate someone's career entirely. I would read mm-hmm. about successful people. I'd be like, oh yeah, like that sounds interesting for me or that would work for me or that wouldn't work for me. Yeah. Um, I was always, and I actually think to this day, I'm still looking for parental figures in my life. So, you know, with my tech company now, I'm about to build an advisory board and I know I'm going to be looking for people on that board who are basically my surrogate parents. Because, yeah. because uh, I, I've done all of this without um, older, experienced male or female guidance. Yeah. And I am, I desperately crave someone to look at me and take and think she has this kernel of talent, but with my knowledge and experience, I can cultivate that into something great. And I want to be schooled. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it's amazing how you're saying this, but like so many people will be listening, including myself. He's like, I mean, you crave that you almost have proven that you don't need it usually a parent not always but often you know you look up to your parents to give you those bits of guidance depending on what parents you have but blah 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 so it's unbelievable how you took that initiative to do that and essentially got your parental advice from complete strangers but handpicked the bits that you liked I was making composite dad you were finding your dad's advice in other successful business people Mm. you're an example of someone who has achieved in spite and despite of all your clear obstacles I don't know if that's a question but no I think it is important to address because I think again this is an outside perception right yeah it's very easy to look at someone from the outside and think oh well they've achieved this and done that yeah but you don't know what I've sacrificed to do it like totally you know for me it would definitely be I've sacrificed relationships but for someone else it could be they've sacrificed their mental health it could be they've sacrificed their personal physical health either way it's like you know I strongly believe in that it takes a village to raise a child Mm. and you know, I often write about co-parenting and say that I don't 
expect co-parents to always be male and female no. right i don't expect co-parents to necessarily be the the mother and father of the child but there definitely has to be an understanding that children you know from my experience both me personally and my son now shouldn't be raised by one person mm. i think it's very very difficult to um it's very difficult to justify that argument if you think about how humans have basically existed for like millennia, yeah. <laughs> which is in tribes. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm quite fascinated by how children are raised in some ways. There, are, there are, I, I remember reading about a tribe whereby um, because the woman would, um, you know, sleep with multiple men in the tribe, they wouldn't know whose baby it was right. so th but they'd all raise it right. they'd all raise the baby yeah. as if it was their own well that's quite a nice and, idea and I, was, <laughs> <laughs> I just think that you can't just look at someone's external success and i'm sure no, totally. you know well i'd hope to think that this series really um scratches below the surface of things that people think about because i've not really spoken about this before ever although people know it about me if they ask me and you know it's not something I hide I think it's important for people to know that critical things with my relentlessness with my work my work ethic is nuts because I'm desperate to win you know what I mean I want to win the fact that I have a very small uh circle of friends the fact that like my social life can sometimes be incredibly lonely because I'll walk past a, a pub and I'll see a group of people sat outside the pub and I'll be like, how do they all know each other? Like, right, yeah. why don't I have friends like that? And then I'll be like, I don't want friends like that. And so then the defense I, mechanism will immediately like... Exactly. I don't know if I actually want those friends or if I've just trained myself to think it. Yeah. To, to you know, self-preservation. Yeah. I don't like... Um, I'm quite uh, ruthless about my time and the fact that I don't uh I try not to waste time with anyone that isn't going to help me um be like self-improve yeah so whether it's like personal self-improvement or work self-improvement or whatever I'm I always want to be better than I was yesterday but I'm like better for who like better for who better for myself because why how you can't possibly be better for yourself right? yeah, yeah so I have all of these things that go on that I'm juggling behind the scenes on top of um running my business mm. you know although I think you can be better for yourself definitely I think that in terms of sort of finding people as you say who bring who make you feel good be that in work or be that personally or get, give you something you know you're growing from that nourishing relationship in whatever way that is that will provide some sort of peace or growth and once you stop growing you stop living that's what I always mm. think so if you find people who help you grow that self-improvement is definitely provides you know nourishment for you but I know what you mean in terms of the outs like who's it for on the outside I, I think that I always in my life have felt like the outsider looking in like always and I think that um you know I have this thing where I think no one really understands me you know you're just so in your head you're like no one can possibly understand me 
my mum doesn't understand me. My dad doesn't understand me because he's not even around. My dad doesn't know me. He doesn't even know me. And I think who who actually knows me? Like, I'm not sure who, not even myself, like, knows me. And that, um, yeah, that's quite difficult, like... But then again, that's why I throw myself into work. Is is that uh, yeah? Hmm. Do you think the work then is some sort of channeling? I think that uh, I just like being occupied. Yeah. And my brain is always going at like a million miles an hour, and it's really annoying. And it's better if it's going on something outside of myself. Yeah. I feel that. I have these modes of self, right? And one of my modes is to be of service. And that's when I'm at my best self. When I'm when I'm doing something for others, uh, so that could be my business. It could be I would be volunteering or it could be that I'm just helping someone with their, their business, like mentoring. When I, when I work on that kind of thing, it's like self-soothing to me and I think it's just because you're not in your own head yeah another mode that I'm in is like student mode which is learning so I'll do loads of random courses and I'll read loads of random books and I try and make this learning wholly for myself um you know but it doesn't always work out like that yeah I think that the channeling to work is just because I want to stay busy but also be financially independent yeah um it's very my oh I've been so obsessed with being financially independent Mm -hmm. for a long time and I think that this definitely has to do with my dad not being around as well because my mum was always dependent on either benefits or child maintenance or something else and I never wanted to be be beholden to this it felt like this weird social contract that my father was it felt very very strange to me that my dad made a monthly payment for 18 years but never met me yeah that's so odd and um I just remember thinking I never want to have any financial contracts with any man like if you're a child and you know that your father is paying child support, there is a value on your existence. Mm. That's actually quite weird. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I, I, I actually remember how much. It was £88 a month he paid. 88 But imagine that I... Ha- that you even knew that. That I remember that. Yeah. I, I remember it was £88 a month. Yeah. And like... I hate the idea of my financial value being tied to somebody else's decision of what my value is Mm -hmm. and again it goes back to that visibility of like how can I make myself known to someone who doesn't actually want to know me (laughs) yeah you know what I mean and do you think your dad does know what you do and who you are um I I'm not sure really I'm not as I'm sure you can tell, I'm not very much a speculator. I Which like is to healthy. have I like to have information because I just think you can drive yourself crazy hypothesizing 
and imagining yeah. and guessing. Yeah. So fantasizing. Fantasizing. I think I try and take um, a very stoic approach, which is I can only focus on the things I can change. And anything that I can't change is of no um, importance to me. Yeah. You know, and because I can't change the way he feels about me and also I wouldn't like to try and change that 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 um child parent love is something that shouldn't uh have to be you know manipulated yeah then I just don't focus on it but are you ever tempted to reach out to him Mm, maybe once a year I might google him but oh yeah tell us about that I just might Google him, but he's old and like an old random Do you look like Indian him? businessman, so I can't find, no, I can't find oh, him you online. you can't find him? No, not at all. Um, I, I'm really, again, I'm saying this because I'm in the middle of my 10 year cycle, so ask me again when I'm 40, but yeah, I'm yeah. just not that bothered right now. And I think that I'm not focused on it I'm more I'm more focused on the effects of it rather than the actual thing itself. So I try and understand and explain to the people close to me why I might do certain crazy things, right? But I'm not actually um like trying to repair the source, if that makes sense, which is probably problematic in mm. that it will keep happening and happening. But, you know, when I meet uh like a potential partner um I very much um like I said testing them testing their loyalty uh testing if they're going to stick around and how do you do that oh all kinds of crazy woman behavior (laughs) 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 I not woman behavior (laughs) men could be crazy too yeah true (laughs) definitely abandoned child behavior uh I will do things like um just disappear (laughs) just to see if they would still be interested in looking for me so I might go you know if I might be dating someone and then go offline for like a few weeks and just absolutely disappear I am very good at ignoring people and I will just do it because I want to know do you actually care about this relationship and are you going to do extra work to make it work um And I might also not be truthful about my feelings like until the last, until it's basically a breaking point, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Until it's like we're about to break up and then it's because my psycho behavior is because I love you, so sorry. (laughs) Uh, So it's very sort of self-destructive in that sense. It's very self-destructive. Yeah. It's just easier. But also, it's would... so easy to be. It's yeah, so yeah, yeah. easy to be um, to destroy something than well, work to build it up. It's the way that, like, I guess you feel in control. That's the only way you feel in control. Hundred percent. I have been out of control, like, for so much of my life that the minute I could get control, I clung on to it. Yeah. Like when I was fourteen, I got my first ever job waitressing. I remember I earned twenty pounds a week. I was like this is the get money is freedom to me yeah you know it's not so i can buy more handbags or whatever it's just so i have choice to 
determine my own life in a way that I hadn't before because things were like slipping away from me all the time like you know a relationship that I can't access um is out of my control so I think that when I have a relationship that I um am able to you know work with I definitely am pushing different buttons to see what will happen yeah i have actively told people do not date me <laughs> i am not ready to my to, ex said that to commitment phobe but you're not i'm not a commitment phobe. You're not, i want to be married yeah big time i i am so like a loyal person i it's do you know what i want zero to a hundred yeah. all or nothing yeah. i literally would rather be alone or i want to be married i don't like the courtship in between because it comes with too many unknowns and unknowns freak, freak me out yeah so it's like i mean the, they freak the average person out let alone someone with abandonment issues yeah the, the possibility that um it could snap or disappear at any time that bit i don't like and to me marriage is very like sacred so i'm like once i'm married i'm married yeah things i hate in my life lack of progress limbo um unknown surprises um lack of information lack of uh transparency about your intentions mm-hmm. um i am very if you're upfront with me i will take anything yeah like you know if someone said to me look i just want a casual relationship for three years i'll be like yeah cool yeah. But, if you, but if we're dating for three years and I don't know what's going on, that is yeah, freak, like yeah. freaks me out. So I just think that, um, or if I've got a friend who I would say is not strong enough a friend that I couldn't just randomly knock on their door at two in the morning, yeah. then I am still a bit like iffy and weird with them, you know? Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, it's just definitely affected all my relationships so you briefly touched on how you were in relationships and how you know you test men boys whatever and you've found yourself sort of acting out in ways that you've sort of put the blame on you in many senses but I think now you're 34 you're probably going for different men anyway that when you were in your early 20s and that guy you briefly touched on was your first love but there are two things about this. One of them is that when you don't have a father figure, there's that, there's that phrase that you go, you know, girls go for their dads. They marry their dads. And I, both you and I don't know what that is. We don't know who our dads were. So it's a bit like, okay, so you've got this idea of someone, but I've never had a type. I want to know who were the men that you went for? Because if you're used to being, I guess, abandoned, neglected, rejected by a man there's that very, you know, it sort of that usually goes then into the men that you, because you're comfortable and you recognize something. And so I want to know if, well, both those things really, do you think now that you're older, you go more for this idea of your dad in the business guy and maybe previous to that, you were going for the unavailable and the reject ones rejecting you. I don't know if I'm asking it in a really haphazard way here, but... I think that you're completely right. I didn't have an idea of what that dad would be like. So I too don't have a type at all. If you put like 
everyone had ever snogged in a room, they would all look at each other and be like, how do we know each other? Yeah, this yeah. is weird. Yeah. You know, there's no correlation at all between them. But there are definitely some key fundamental themes. Unwittingly, I go for guys that have um, complete families. Mm-hmm. Big deal. Because obviously yeah. I want a family. I yeah. want normality. I want like the to unit. slip in to a family unit. And my first boyfriend had, um, his mum and dad were so in love with each other. It was actually sweet. Like every single Friday, they used to um, pack up their car and go to Wales and spend uh, the weekend in their holiday home every weekend. Right. Like together. The dream. And then come back on Sunday night and be ready for work again. Yeah, so I think with my my first love, it was really pure and um, I just wasn't prepared for it because I didn't really know what love was like that. Yeah. I think my second uh, relationship, I was looking for security, um, some more like financial security, family security. Like, you know, he was older, not much older, but like older than my scene, like four year, five years older, had a house, had a car, had a normal life, whereas I was just coming out of studentdom. Um but he was obsessed with me. Right. Perfect. And I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Heaven. I was like, oh my God, this person thinks I'm amazing. And immediately loyal, immediately obsessed, immediately, um, basically, you know, gave me everything yeah. like that I needed. But what I realized was it wasn't actually what I needed and it was too much and my independence and my work was so important to me and actually that was um you know probably my most like uh I learned the most from that relationship about myself I've become more understanding of less transactional relationships as in when I say transactional I mean I'm not plugging in to someone's life, mm-hmm. which is what I would do because I wanted a normal life, right? So I'm plugging into them. Yeah. So then it it goes down back into a, a purest essence of how can I find someone who helps me understand my real self because that's actually what I what my longing is right Mm. my longing isn't just for a family my longing isn't just for like a a fig a father figure or security or emotional security or all of that like obviously I want those things but the thing that I want most is someone who I feel helps me understand myself Mm-hmm. more more than anything because that's the eternal question who am i who am i because of my relentless pursuit of excellence it means that i can outgrow people really quickly and mm-hmm. that is really upsetting for me i want someone who like grows with me um but i would say now that my my partner choices have gone past being defined by my fatherlessness yeah because 
you know, like my constant self improvement. I'm always reflecting yeah. on every relationship. I'm reflecting, and I think, okay, what worked, what didn't? What do I know about myself? What do I've yeah. learned? My my partner choices are no longer affected by my fatherlessness. Yes. But once I'm in a relationship, I can't let go of some of those, yes, those self preservation demons. Totally, you know? and those testers. Yeah, those testers. But that's why I was wondering because now I think cause obviously you're older, you're wiser, you've had more experiences. I think. As, as just as you've said, your relationships won't be as affected. But when you were younger, and just going back to something that I said, which you haven't addressed on too much, do you think you ever went for someone who who is just continuously rejecting you? But Yeah, you basically, yeah. So when I was younger, I definitely don't have this now because, like I said, I had my epiphany between 28 and 32 where I just spent four years thinking about all of this stuff. Yeah. But when I was younger, I would go for people who were absolutely unavailable to me. Yeah. Like whether they were like really older, it's so classic. It actually makes me, yeah. actually makes me kind of sad when I see girls do this because they haven't yet figured out why they're doing it. Totally. Like as in experiences, <laughs> power, and the problem with youth is if someone told that me at the time, I would have been like, yeah, whatever. So you just have to go through the yeah, motions. And, true. The, and the motions are you're a girl who, um, you know, when you're young, you can pretty much get whoever you want. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I I would always seem to attract, but obviously I think attraction is a vibration and it's mutual. Yeah. I'd always attract older guys mm-hmm. all the time, um, like much older. I'd always... That's a classic sort oh, of daddy issues very in inverted classic, commas. <laughs> very classic daddy issue. But you don't think it at the time. No. At the time, you just think, oh, you know, the boys around me are immature or whatever. This mm-hmm. is like a cool guy. You don't think it's weird no, yeah. when you're actually that young. And I think that um, it's something that is really important in education. And sometimes I see memes like <laughs> about this on the internet, which is like, if you're, um, you know, 19 and you're going out with a 15-year-old, that's like kind of weird, but uh, but but then it's also like kind of normal. Yeah, and it and it depends on. I think it's so personally dependent on the person, the, the people involved, right? But I think that again, it's that safety element, isn't it? Because my dad would not allow that. Like, if I had a dad who knew that I was dating older guys, your dad wouldn't think that was okay do you get what I mean so it was like a sort of subconscious rebellion as well I think not a rebellion it's more me looking in hindsight that that probably wouldn't have happened had I um, had a dad dad. yeah and I feel like it's one of those things in our society that is, is a very fine point but I would say that um you know, when you're 16, you're not mentally ready for an adult relationship. To I wasn't. Yeah, no way. I, when I look back at age 15 to 16, this is just me. Obviously, everyone's experience is different. I thought I was such an adult. 
And then every time I had a major life change, I was like, why did I think I was so grown up then? I'm grown up now. I'm going to be 35 in a few weeks. And I'm sure when I'm 45, I'm going to look back and think, what? I thought I knew it all at 35. I didn't know. I didn't know who, you know what I mean? But I have that every year that goes past. I'm like, bloody hell. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on my own podcast? (laughs) (laughs) But I'd be like, who... Did I think who I was? Who the hell was I? Yeah. Like, I was I such an I idiot. Was? Yeah. And, um, you know, I just think if I had that adult supervision, I wouldn't have been doing that. Mm. I would have probably rebelled. To an extent. Yeah, to I mean, an I, ex- do, I have a mum and she's ex- wonderful, but they can't tell you. That's yeah, the thing. That's true. They can't tell you who to like. Yeah. That's the hard thing. No. Because these things are hardwired in. So, yeah, I definitely had a pattern of going for people who were unavailable to me. And I actually had to take a, a hard stance to draw a line under that. Yeah. And it's, you find yourself slipping back into it and then you just have to use your intuition. Like, what do I hope to achieve out of this? Like, yeah. Wh- why am I doing this? What is this about? So I, that- ju- I just think that only you can know your... Um, why you're doing what you're doing and even if you don't know you can at least do the work in exploring all the possibilities instead of assuming that the worst thing you can do is say oh but I'm just in love with him yeah 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 oh my yeah well love is blind (laughs) you're not love is just a chemical thing yeah yeah love is just a chemical reaction yeah to you know keep the human species going by balancing out yeah yeah like faults that you have or losses that you have or gaping holes that you need to fill Mm. and it's like the concept of understanding that your choices are not your choices but that you've essentially been shaped by all of these experiences you just don't take what you um think is reality for reality because it's not amazing advice there because that honestly that takes a while to realize that and I think if you find yourself in a cycle whoever whatever experiences you've had if you find yourself in a cycle of the same thing the same destruction it doesn't have to be that forever you just have to work out why that's happening and yeah and that comes from self-awareness and we all go for the familiar because because that if it's even if it's bad for us because that's where we feel comfortable in an absurd way. Yeah, humans are based on pattern recognition. The thing that we call intuition, the thing that we call emotion and feeling is just pattern recognition. And I think breaking the cycle and the pattern is the absolute hardest, most traumatic thing you can do. And it, you know, I had to leave London to do that. I had to move back to my hometown, do so much work in terms of like, you know, mental well-being, reading, thinking, um, to get myself to a point where I was like, I, I'm not going to do this self-destructive thing anymore. Mm. And I'm not going to go for like this type of relationship. I'm not going to get into this friendship. I'm not going to do this type of work, all the things that make me unhappy. But breaking the cycle is something I feel that I have done most powerfully with my son you know I separated from my son's dad when he was one years old and because I'd grown up with this strong feeling of fatherlessness there was no way that I was going to do that to my own son not even a question Mm -hmm. like it didn't even occur to me once I um you know said to his father uh we should do a 50 50 split he's half your DNA. Yeah. 
spend half the time with you. Yeah. I'm also running my business. I've got work to do. You're running your business. You, you know, we can do this. And it took a long time to kind of get the um, f- regular flow because obviously it's impractical when they're a baby. Just the pure logistics yeah. of it is, yeah. is impractical. They're small people and require a lot of attention and... Um, no school yet. It was just, yeah, no school, childcare. It was just impractical, but we stuck to it. Mm. I'm so proud that we've stuck to yeah, it. Yeah, it's for, amazing that you for have. For so long. His dad has him like Wednesday, one o'clock to Saturday, alternate Sunday, one o'clock. I have him Saturday or Sunday, one to Wednesday at one. And it's been like that for like seven years. And we don't change it. We obviously sometimes like have extra days or less days or I'll take him on holiday or but we live 10 minutes away we talk every single day his dad's still like my best friend and but it took time I don't want to make out like this was a walk in the park it took time for all the emotions to relax for the logistics to be sorted out for Roman to be going to school for everything to be in a really happy flow whereby we are genuinely Mm co-parenting and it makes me happy because it's so easy for me to have been like, we've broken up, we hate each other, I'm just gonna like take him away and you can yeah, only like, see him on weekends. Like that's, it, it's almost- Which a lot of people do. Because, it's almost prescribed yeah. to do that. And I think my whole life has been like, trying to be like, well, why is that the rule? Yeah. Why is that the rule that because I'm like a, a black, girl from Wolverhampton born to a single mum I can't be successful why is that the rule yeah. why is that the rule that like you know I can't start a tech company who said that yeah so I was just like applied the same life to my child I was like who made that rule that dads only see their kids at weekends that rule is weird to me so I'm just going to defy that rule yeah so we we worked on it together and it works for us and I think that um the most important thing I've learned from this lesson is consistency because it's just easy to be like, Do you know what, this is hard. I'm just gonna forget it. It's it when it's at its worst and you're screaming down each other's throats <laughs> and you hate each other, it's so easy to just be like, I'm not gonna drop him off this week because I actually don't even want to see your face. Yeah, yeah. We used to do things like <laughs> opening the door, putting Roman out and shutting the door. Right. Do you get what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> It was really horrible in the beginning, but in my heart, I just kept saying to myself, it's going to be so worth it because he will have such a strong relationship with his dad that I didn't have. And we live in London, not near grandparents, there is no tribe, there is no village to mm. raise our kid. It's just us and we have to raise him. So I was like, I don't, knowing how much that this has affected me and my life, why would I pass that trauma on? All I can do is try my best to be truthful about my reactions and emotions. Like even as little as, um, my son knows what a period is because oh good when I (laughs) make a good boyfriend (laughs) yeah but when I was you know when he was young and I was exhausted or emotionally drained 
Firstly, he would follow me around the house anyway. So, like, no, it's just me and him in the house. He'd just follow me everywhere. So he'd come into the bathroom and he'd see me, like, you know, having a period. And and I'd say to him, I bleed once a month. It makes me really tired and moody. So if I am tired and moody, I apologise because this is the reason why. And he knew that from... probably four yeah (laughs) so that's amazing you know what i mean yeah it's also a good uh it's a really good excuse excuse. when i want to leave the park i'm like roman i'm bleeding he'll be like okay mum, let's go (laughs) but i love that i look like someone else listening to that (laughs) (laughs) but it just means that i can explain things to him so if i am ratty because of something that is irrational such as like you know, I can't think of a specific example related to... A relationship. A relationship that's upsetting or whatever. Oh, I'll give you a good one, actually. I think I've passed on to him a fear of being left out. Right. So there's no possible way for me to pass this on. I think it's just observed behaviour. So when I'm stressed because I'm worried that, um, you know, something that the world is going on without me... He will have it where he might be in the playground and everyone's playing a game and he feels left out. And there's right. no real reason for it. He, he just, he feels that. And I'm like, okay, so if I know that, I can just help him understand why that is, where that comes from, et cetera, yeah. and just try not to pass things on to him. But the only thing that I could definitely change for sure was father presence. You know, I knew that I could say, as a woman, I am actively going to um ignore my personal emotional state for the and put my child's emotional state ahead of my own to allow him to make his own decision about his father which is only possible because you know He's not a drug dealer. He's not a criminal. There are all these different situations for where that wouldn't be possible, right? Yeah. But in my situation, it was wholly possible. So so I had to do that. Um, I just kept thinking, how could I possibly explain in the way that my mum's never truly explained to me why his dad wasn't around? Like that conversation would shame me. And it maybe it shames my mum. Maybe that's why we've never had it. But I, I just tried to break that cycle. Um, and it's paid off because we are totally equal in the parenting. Like if, if um, you know, Roman was here and he, you'd be like, oh, where, do you want to go with mum or do you want to go with dad? He wouldn't automatically have a reflex. Yeah. You know, some people just be like, I'm going to my mum's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, it's not like that at all. He no. wouldn't have a reflex. He'd he'd probably say, what are we doing when we get home, dad? Yeah. And what are we going to do? And then he'd, he'd like analyse what he wanted to do yeah, rather yeah. than like... The best option. Yeah, the best option. <laughs> I love Rather that. than having a reflex of yeah. the father is not as important to the mother. Um he knows you both as, just as well as each other. He knows us both yeah. the same and he spends time with us both the same. And yeah, I just think... That's amazing. It's all we can do. Yeah. Um, right, so we should probably wrap up. So I'm going to ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. And that's if your dad was listening to Daddy Issues, listening to this podcast right now, what would you want to say to him? 
Oh my god. <laughs> I know, sorry. <laughs> um I would probably say to him that I'm not upset. I understand to some extent why you made the decisions you made. And I'd be okay having some form of relationship. I don't want or need anything from you. But it would be nice to understand who you are in order to understand who I am. That's it. Thank you so much for listening to my first ever episode with Sharmadine Reed. What an incredible, inspiring woman. I've actually listened to her podcast on at least seven runs, trying to get the invaluable Sharmadine wisdom ingrained into my brain. I hope that you guys enjoyed the first episode of Daddy Issues, and please don't hesitate to get in touch via our website, www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com, if any of Sharmadine's story resonated with you, or if you just want to share any thoughts or experiences of your own with Sharmadine, myself, or each other. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Walkie Productions, who did all my sound. For Aaron and Ben at Interface, who did my website and graphic design. And to Rory Ray Photography for taking the photograph. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify to stay tuned with new episodes. And, of course, spread the Daddy Issues message. Have a lovely rest of your day and thank you once again for listening.